Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Today, I'm going to talk about three common pain points in a code of conduct revision project. First, I want to mention uh, that there are a couple of events coming up. This podcast is actually going up the day of a webinar I'm participating in, so I'm not going to bother with uh, telling you about that because it's too late for that. But I do want to mention, particularly for those that are tuning in because they're interested in code of conduct, that there is another webinar that I'm going to be conducting with the Clear Law Institute. That's clearlawinstitute.com. If you're interested, they have lots of webinars on many topics, including compliance. On February 28th uh, this year, 2018, uh, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, there will be a live uh, Code of Conduct uh, uh, webinar called Updating Your Code of Conduct Best Practices. Uh, and I'm going to distill over about an hour and 15 minutes a lot of the best practices uh, that I have discussed on here, but also some uh, some things that I haven't gotten to. Uh, go into some detail. You have an opportunity to ask questions if you're interested. So if you, for instance, need to get some CCB credits or CLE credits, uh, this is a good way to do it and also learn about a topic that you want to learn more about, um, Code of Conduct Development. Um, again, uh, that's going to be on February 28th. Uh, that the that's when it's going to be live. You can always uh, download it as well from Clear Law. I'll have the link here in the show notes for those of you that are interested in looking into that. Uh, I'm actually doing one later today, also on code of conduct. Again, uh, I'll leave the link in the show notes for those of you. Uh, you probably won't be able to make the live uh, uh, event, but if you want to check it out uh, afterwards, please do. Both of those uh, webinars are going to be about code of conduct. Uh, We're going to be scheduling one of our free webinars here uh, coming up probably in February. Uh, We're not quite ready to set the date yet. Uh, When we do, I will give you the information. As always, our our webinars uh, from Moorhead Compliance Consulting and sponsored by Compliance Beat are free. Uh, The Clear Law Institute ones do cost money, uh, but you do get CLE credit or CCB credits if you need them. So that was my little public service announcement about uh, upcoming Uh, speaking engagements. Uh, As always, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, uh, please do. Uh, If you have questions, uh, if you would like to have uh, certain subjects covered in the podcast, uh, any kind of uh, suggestions about uh, content uh, or feedback at all, we really love to hear that stuff uh, from our listeners, so please uh, do get in touch. So, uh, three common pain points or three common issues that I have consistently seen in code of conduct projects. And these are things that are often overlooked. Uh, When a organization is contemplating updating their code of conduct, uh, revising their code of conduct, um, there's a lot of focus on, okay, what what's the content going to be? What are we going to do with the text? Uh, what are we going to do with the design? Where is it going to be on our website? There are a lot of logistical things that come to mind right away. 
Um, but there are three pain points that I see over and over again in these projects that I would like to talk a little bit about because I think they're sometimes overlooked or, or not thought about until they become the issues that they become uh, and, and can sometimes derail projects uh, significantly. And, and these are things that can be avoided. Uh, the first is, and this is one that I've talked about before uh, to some extent, is getting buy-in, getting the team involved. Uh, and in fact, I'm going to be talking about that uh, in both of the webinars I mentioned, but in more detail. And if you go back through the podcasts, uh, there are a couple where I talk about, uh, in particular, uh, bringing in team members uh, if you want to go back and listen to that. But uh, here I want to talk about not only... Uh, bringing in uh, various people throughout the organization who are key stakeholders, uh, but getting buy-in from them and, and getting buy-in from the top of the organization. If you have a hands-on uh, audit committee of the board of directors who's responsible for your program, getting buy-in from them, you know, uh, bringing up the fact that you're going to be going through this project, what the parameters of the project are early on, uh, making sure the CEO's on board making sure that the chief legal officer, if you are, aren't uh, the person wearing that hat as well, is, is on board and, and uh, is in line with what your plans are. Um, for obvious reasons, this can be a serious issue. I've seen more than my fair share of projects where I've either been brought in later or I've been there in the beginning, and there hasn't been a significant enough outreach to the various stakeholders. And, there, and, and, and what outreach had occurred had led to buy-in, because that's what you need. Uh, you need to make sure that there's not uh, a significant uh, subject matter expert or a significant executive or board members that might literally block your uh, project if they don't like the direction it's going in or they feel that they uh, were not consulted uh, on the direction that you were going with the project. So I think it's uh, it, it seems sort of like a no-brainer, but it's really not because I see this problem over and over again. Uh, to, to really, uh, at the earliest stages, uh, start bringing this up and having discussions with the executive team, uh, with the audit committee of the board of directors or whomever you report to at the board level, um, and make sure that they're on board with the direction you're going, that there's not going to be any um, unpleasant surprises down the road if uh, you present something and, and they're like, well, where'd this come from? This is out of left field. We didn't even know you were doing a code of conduct revision. <laughs> That's not uh, where you want to be. So that's that's an important one, and I think it's often, um, you know, we're all we're, and, and I and I include myself in this too. Uh, we oftentimes are all very laser focused on getting the job done. We have the plan in mind in our head, uh, but we uh, need to make sure that we get all the various stakeholders, the people who have a say, uh, on board as well. So that's an important one. Related to that, uh, but but uh, also a significant issue is apportioning the appropriate resources for project management. This is a real project. This is not a weekend, uh, I'm just going to, I'm the general counsel, I'm going to go ahead and make some changes to the code of conduct on my, in my free time, all the, all the spare free time that general counsel has to uh, do their code of conduct. That, that's not realistic. Um, and, it, and it may not be realistic if you have a lot of responsibilities, all, all kidding aside, if you're a multiple hat uh, 
uh, person and you have compliance but five other responsibilities and, and daily operational compliance takes up uh, 10 hours of your, of your day, uh, then you aren't going to be able to project manage a significant code of conduct revision project. It is a real project. I can tell you it's a real project because I do this for a living. And there are lots of things that can happen. Uh, there are lots of things that need to happen. And there are lots of ducks that need to be put into their rows when you're doing a code of conduct project. And particularly if you haven't undertaken such a project in the past, particularly if you're not familiar with, for example, a design and layout process, and you're, you're expecting your code to be uh, updated into a new uh, design format, uh, particularly if you don't have experience uh, translating not just text but uh, a design document into multiple languages and translations have to be part of the process. Well, you know, that's, uh, that's something that uh, you need to have dedicated resources for. Uh, if your organization, within your organization, you don't have somebody who can uh, adequately project management, that's the opportunity to go back to bringing in team members from other functions and being more cross-functional about the project. If you don't have resources in the compliance department, maybe they have somebody who can project manage it in one of the other operational units of the company. Um, maybe there's somebody in the legal department or human resources who would make a good project manager um, who has some experience doing these sorts of things. You need to think about it. Uh, there, the the timeline for the average code of conduct honestly ends up being six months plus. Now, I've that being said, I've worked with clients here in the last year where I've been able to help them get a revised code of conduct with design across the finish line in a couple of months. But it's a forced march, and there was lots of project management involved. So this is not something that's going to be done on a few weekends. Uh, if you're just changing, uh, you know, some uh, contact information in the code of conduct, that's one thing. But if you're talking about breaking open the document, redesigning the document, um, trying to trying to uh, 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 do something significant, that's going to entail project management. Uh, I mentioned translations as sort of a a, a, part, a, a number two uh, point. Point five uh, translations in and of themselves are much more complicated than you, what you might suspect. Even if you've translated some of the documents, policies, for example, and other legal documents that are uh, your responsibility in the past, this is perhaps different. And perhaps it's the first document that has a design attached to it. Perhaps it's the first document that you've been involved in conducting a translation for that has a lot of interactive elements, cross-references, hyperlinks, navigation tools, other, um, uh, other uh, interactivity that you're going to try to design into the document. Um, there's some, some, there are some significant challenges in not only translating the text and making sure that it's adequately translated and that it's project managed and that it's properly reviewed internally, but also some challenges with translating the design into uh, several foreign languages. So uh, uh, invest in a project manager. Um, if that's you, that's great. If you have the 
the bandwidth for that. Um, if it's going to have to be somebody f uh, from another team that has the time and the ability and the experience to do it, that's great. Or if, you know, perhaps you need to go outside the organization. There are plenty of us out here who would be happy to help you. Um, there, there are fewer of us that have experience doing it, but but uh, it, it is it is definitely doable, definitely doable on a timeline. But it does need to be managed. The third pitfall issue that I've seen come up before, and this is particularly true, I think, with um, organizations that go outside their organization and look for. Uh, uh, a third party to help them, and that's scope. Really understanding what the scope of the project is. I think oftentimes people look at their code of conduct and they say, well, we need to revise it, but we're not going to change too much. We're going to add a section here, or we need to talk about social media, or we need to do this, or we need to do that. So we're going to just lightly lightly revise it or refresh it. The refresh is a term that I've heard several times. Here is the reality. When you start digging into it, pretty much any revision is a real revision, or it should be. Otherwise, I think you're kind of wasting resources. If you're going to take the opportunity to go to, for instance, contract out with a third party to have them help you with your code of conduct and help help you revise it, there's not much point in 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 trying to hamstring the scope. What you really want is for the document to be more effective. And there are lots of things you can do to an existing document, even if it's very, very good, to make it much more effective, to uh, make it much more interesting to perhaps an employee who has seen it now for 15 years. Uh, if you're going to make the effort, whether that's internal or external, I think you need to be realistic about the scope. I very rarely will work with a client who wants to limit the scope that much, or I'll be very, very clear with them because of this issue. Because the reality is, is once you get into it, it's not just changing a few sentences here and there. It's not just adding maybe one or two sections. When you're talking about a document that on average is 10 to 12,000 words long, most revisions end up being about half that, about 6,000 of those words are edited. Uh, sometimes 6,000 of those words go away. Um, I've worked with clients that have had codes that were literally 25,000 words long that ended up being about 8,000 words, words long. We still had the same coverage. We still talked about the same things, but we just did it much more effectively. Uh, even if you have a code that you don't uh, fundamentally hate, <laughs> uh, if, if you're at the point where you're thinking about seriously updating it, then you need to be serious about what the scope is and don't underscope it because you're not going to be satisfied with it. Or you're going to end up with a situation where you're going outside of the scope if you're working with a third party, um, uh, particularly if you, are, uh, unfortunately, are working with a law firm. Sometimes you might be on the clock, and those hours do add up. So I, it would be my suggestion early on to avoid this pitfall by being really realistic with yourself about what the scope is. And if you're uh, looking at it and you think it needs a couple of new sections and you don't really like the language in a lot of places, think about it having a real revision to it. Um, you're going to spend about the same amount of time 
to uh, lightly revise or seriously revise a code of conduct. You're still going to have to review it. You're still going to have to redline it as an editor on, on the inside of your organization. You're still going to have to work with a third party if you're working with a third party. You're still going to have to, um, if you're going to update the design and layout, up, update the design and layout. Unless you're honestly only making technical changes or, add, or, or honestly only just going in to add one paragraph on one topic that you somehow missed, those are strategic strikes. Those aren't revisions. There is no light revision. There's no refresh. They're only really revisions. And to, to me, you want to make sure that you have the appropriate scope to do what you really want to do. This is perhaps the biggest mistake that I see happen frequently. And uh, it's, and it's, and it's born out of the best of intentions of trying to limit the resources that the company has to put forward to fix the code of conduct. But you're going to end up uh, blowing through those resources anyway, or even more if you go out of scope and have to pay a premium. Um, and, and if you don't, if you do hold the line and say, we're stopped right here, then you're going to end up with a product that is not really what you want. So uh, I think it's important, really important to think, think about this and really be honest with yourself about what the scope of the revision ought to be. So those are three things. Um, you know, getting that buy-in, getting that team involvement. That's something we talked about before. But but buy-in from the team, I think, is really important so that you don't get surprises down the road. Uh, really thinking about project management in a serious way and about the resources you need for project management. Uh, this is not. I've done. I don't even know how many code of conduct projects. I've done several dozen, you know, probably approaching approaching a hundred of these projects. I've had some uh, contact with or oversight on, and they always are bigger or different than what you think. So, project management resources, particularly focus on think about translations. Uh, that's important to keep in mind. And then, lastly. Please, please don't underestimate the scope. Uh, you're only going to disappoint yourself in the end. Uh, you want this to be a success. Nobody goes into this, I hope, uh, just to check the box. I hope we're beyond that uh, with not only our code of conduct but our other projects. So we're not here to check the box. We're here to have a best-in-class code of conduct. You're not going to be able to sneak it by. It's going to have to be a real, it's a real, it's a real process. And you need to be honest about what the scope of that is going to be. So thanks again. Uh, as always, please uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Please uh, get in touch if you have questions or comments. Uh, if you're interested in the uh, uh, webinars I mentioned at the top that I'm doing with the Clear Law Institute, uh, please uh, either tune in or uh, check out the uh, recordings, particularly if you need to get some credits. Uh, some CLE credits for your law license or CCB credits uh, for your compliance certification. Uh, that's a good way to do it, and particularly if you're interested in code of conduct development. And who isn't? It's so exciting. Uh, so until next time, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.